they don't teach you this in preaching class that sometimes you are going to have to deal with like all kinds of stuff that doesn't work. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, as I was saying, today in the lectionary, the great man of God, he built this incredible movement, believed God for big things, like some of the biggest things of his time, right up until the moment that he was sitting in a jail cell, knowing that he was likely going to die. And then this moment of doubt seeped in, and he came face to face with a God that didn't live up to his expectations. So before we get any further, because this is a deep subject, I think you guys need to know a little bit about me. Um, this could be a pretty touchy subject. You should know who I am. Some of you know who I am, but most of you don't because I don't tend to come to this service. I usually end up at um, evening service, team evening service. Um, but I have been actually at the table for about two and a half years. And I serve on the worship team, and I'm on the board of elders. But most importantly, I'm a part of the board game community group, which is the best one. So just so we're clear. Um, yeah, the board game. So on a, on a personal note, um, I'm a Lego fiend. Anything Legos is the best. If I can build Legos, it's a happy day. If I had a room of Legos, that would be awesome. Also ties. I love all the ties. I have a lot, like 30 semi-ties. I don't get to wear them enough. Um, for a job, I kind of work at the nexus of homelessness and addiction and families here in D.C. Um, so I spend a lot of time working with people on the, on the edge. And um, as for a family, my family, if I get to go home, it means I have to go across an ocean because my family all lives in England. So it's really exciting because I have a new niece that I get to see in February, so I'm all excited about that. Um, but when it comes to preaching, I have this one really solid, firm belief. I believe if I'm going to get up and talk to you about something, I better have skin in the game. Like, I believe that bread has to be broken in me before I can break it in somebody else. So I'm telling you this because when I'm preaching this sermon about dealing with a God that doesn't live up to your expectations, been there, done that, fired God. I literally did. I fired God. So I should go back and explain this a little bit, this, this story. Um, I'm a PK, and if you know what that means, chances are you're probably one yourself, and you have my condolences. And if you don't know what that means, that means that you're a preacher's kid. That's what my dad is. He's a preacher, a pastor. And um, that also, I'm also a missionary kid because we spent a large part of our life in England, which means I have a killer accent that I can pull out at parties and have great vacations. Um, but growing up, what I watched over and over again was the sacrifice that my parents made for the people that they were serving and the heartache that ministry and serving God cost them. So I was so determined that there would never be a time in my life that I would be a pastor. Like, if you asked me what I was going to do in life, I would be like, well, I'm not going to be a pastor. And I'd really like to do, like, that was the phrase because it was not going to happen. Um, so a little PSA here. Love your pastors well because you don't know the costliness of their, the life of the people in their congregations. So love them, pray for them, take them out to dinner just to take them out to dinner. But, you know, that's my little PSA. So anyway, back to the story. Um, about, about 15 years ago, I was in a position at a church. I was at a church and was just kind of serving in community groups and on the worship team. And 
the church came to me with a call to step into ministry. And I was the most surprised person in the world when I was like in like the core of my being, like here, I knew this was what I was supposed to do. Like I knew I was supposed to step up and do this, that this was what God was preparing me for right to this point. This is where I should be. Knew it. And it was in the antithesis of everything I ever wanted to do. But I had a vision for it. I had the peace of God in it. I just knew God was calling to me this place and this time. So I, I went for it. I jumped in. I thought, this is what I'm going to do. Fast forward four years later, and I'm living the literal worst year of my life. I had a youth group full of broken kids. We had two deaths in the youth group. And just problem and heartache after problem and heartache, kids head above water. And in the middle of this, my mother got really ill, and she went into the hospital again. And so I had to take an impromptu trip back to England. And while that time was happening, the church was having an apostolic oversight meeting. So we had some people that came and took the temperature of our congregation every year, just made sure we weren't going off the rails. And while I was gone, this meeting was taking place. And I came back, and the pastor said, hey, you know, we had some conversations during this time, and we should talk about this because maybe it really kind of affects the way you do your ministry. So here's this tape of the service. I want you to go listen to it, and then we'll talk. I was like, okay. So I get in my car, and I put the tape in my car because I'm that old. And <clears throat> I was driving back to my house, and before I knew it, this turned into a what Becky was doing wrong and how bad Becky is session. And it went on and on and on. And I, by the time I got home, I was just bawling. I was so angry. And I was like, my anger wasn't so much at the church. It was at God. I was like, I trusted you to take this leap, to go into this job, to do this thing. And all I have been doing is giving. And this is what I get. This is what you let happen? And I, I was like, I'm done. Only I didn't say it that nicely. Like, there were loud, angry tears. I'm sure there was snot. But I was, I was done. Oh, you and me, God, this is it. So what does God do with us in the midst of a moment like this? When reality and expectation collide and God doesn't live up to our expectations, how does he respond? So let's go back to this story in scripture and see how Jesus dealt with such a collision. So there's a story in Matthew 11 of Jesus and John the Baptist. John the Baptist is in prison and he sends a couple of his disciples to ask Jesus a question. He says, are you the one that is to come, the Messiah? Or should we look for someone else? It's a pretty profound question. So what do we really know about John the Baptist? So this is your job now. You're going to have to tell me a little bit. What do you know about John the Baptist? Shout something out. Cousin of Jesus. What else? A prophet? Locusts and honey. Yes, we know in the Bible that some of what he ate were locusts and wild honey. Bugs dipped in honey. That sounds great. 
What else do we know about him? His name is John. Yes! Good job. Anything else? He baptizes Jesus. That's right. So, yeah, that's right. Jesus, or John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. In fact, at one point in time, John's mom was pregnant with him, and Mary, Jesus' mom, who's just newly pregnant with Jesus, comes over, and John goes nuts in Elizabeth's womb, and she says, this, my child, recognizes the spirit of the child that's in you. Like, so from before he was born, he was this person that was preparing the way. Um, and he had this, like, his parents took him to live in the desert, and they lived with this religious group that put aside a lot of worldly things to be very focused. So John didn't grow up in comfort at all. He walked around wearing clothes made from camel skin, which I can't imagine smelled delicious, um, and ate the locusts and wild honey. And he came into a ministry preparing the way. He started telling people that there is one to come. It is God's chosen one, and he is going to come in power and authority, and he is going to set his people free. He even got to this, the heavens opened up, and this dove came down, and this voice that said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. So John the Baptist has seen this amazing trail of events. He spent his whole life following this calling that he is meant to prepare the way for a move of God. And he didn't shy away from calling people out. Devin talked about this last weekend. He called out the religious leaders and the self-righteous ones. You know the wrath is coming. Who told you to walk away from it? Who told you to flee it? He called people to repentance. And one of the people he called out was Herod. So King Herod was, had a bit of a roving eye, and he went to visit his brother and really thought his brother's wife was hot. So he persuaded his brother's wife to leave his brother and come marry him instead. Hot, hot, hot mess. You don't do that. Makes for bad Thanksgivings. Uh, it also means that um, John the Baptist is going gonna, is gonna to call down fire on you. He's going to be like, what are you doing? How is this a way you're supposed to lead God's people? That is the wrong thing. You are living in adultery. You are doing the thing you shouldn't be doing. You're not being a person of integrity. So Herod and his new wife thought, yeah, we're going to fix that. Lock him up. So John the Baptist, after this amazing ministry, of calling people to repentance and preparing the way is sitting in a jail cell weeks from his death. And it's at this moment that the reality of his situation smacks head into the stone jail wall of reality. This, God, this, this is what you called me to? And so in that, that little moment of doubt comes, and he calls out to Jesus. And he sends this question, and it comes at the Kairos time, the opportune time. It's a time where Jesus' ministry is beginning to take off. His disciples are doing the same things that he's doing around, and people are really beginning to wrestle with, who is this guy? From God or not from God? Could he be? Could he? 
And then John's question comes. And it would give Jesus the incredible opportunity to make the statement, yep, guys, it's me. Like, he could do this. He could come right out and say, John, yes, I'm the Messiah. You got it, buddy. He could make this statement and make it so clear. And instead, this is what he tells this man. This is how he answers the question. Go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And good news is proclaimed to the poor. And then he throws in this, this thing at the end. Oh. And blessed is he who is not offended by me. Can you imagine being John? Sitting in the prison, knowing his days are numbered, wondering if his life and his choices and his sacrifice are worth it. And he's been calling out to his cousin, please tell me, tell me that this is worth it. Tell me that I've been doing the right thing. Let me know. And Jesus tells him, hey, John, you're blessed if you're not offended by me. You're blessed if you don't stumble on account of me. It doesn't seem like much of a comfort, does it? But in reality, if we look at it, Jesus' answer is really profound and gracious and loving. When Jesus says, go back and tell him that the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured. Good news is being preached to the poor. He's speaking to John as religious teacher to religious teacher. He's using words that hiking back to the scriptures and the prophecies of the Messiah. And he's triggering John's memory of all he's known and studied. And he's saying, in his words, he is honoring John's ministry and not speaking down to him because he knows John is going to get the reference. And in that, he's calling John back to faith. He's correcting John's expectation of the Messiah. John, all this time you've been preaching, the, the Messiah is going to come with power and authority, and he's going to set his people free. And look, John, I come with power to heal and authority to heal. And good news is coming and being preached I am setting my people free. He's inviting John to reset his expectations. He's inviting and he's saying, don't stumble on that expectation. But again, realign and understand your purpose. As John's disciples are walking away, Jesus starts talking to the crowd around him so they can hear. And he begins talking more about John. And he actually literally calls him out as, this is the one that the prophet said. He's going to be the voice in the wilderness making the way for the Messiah. And as that gets reported back to John, he is calling John to reenter his calling of faith. To have the kingdom of God 
worked more fully in him and to continue being who God called him to be, to not surrender to the disappointment, to not surrender to the fear and the doubt, but to continue to be who he was called to be. A very wise man once told me, and caveat here, it was my dad, so. Um, he, he told me that conversion begins as a surrender to God. But it also becomes a surrender to the person that I was created to be. The image of God that is within me. And from conversion on, we have been in a relationship with God fighting for our created selves to come through, to find healing for the hurt and brokenness and disappointment, and to grow into the person of God we were created to be, a restoration of our true creation and calling. And this is what the love of God does. God's love is not conditional. It doesn't say, you have to get up to this point before I'll love you, before you'll be worthy of love. And God's love isn't unconditional. It doesn't just go, oh, whatever you are, I love you anyway. Instead, it's preconditional. It knows that God's love knows us where we are and loves us where we are and loves us enough to help us become what we were meant to be. It doesn't leave us where we are. It calls us out. His love calls out of us. His love calls us to partner with him to become who we were created to be. And this is how it was with John. Jesus could have given John like this perfect pat answer. He could have said, yes, I'm the Messiah. But that wasn't what John needed. That wouldn't have restored John to become the man he was created to be. Jesus loved John so much that he was inviting him again into this costly, beautiful dance of faith. Jesus loved John so much that he wanted him to have a deeper understanding of God and a deeper understanding of purpose. He loved him too much to give him the easy answer. He wanted him, even as he was facing death, to become who he was called and created to be. Jesus answered John's question with a correction, of course. Look, John, this is what the Messiah is meant to be. This is who I am. And don't be offended if I don't live up to your expectations. But instead, come and re-enter this life. Be a part of the renewal of all things. And can you imagine John hearing this? That even at this time, this utter disappointment, this place of doubt, being called to make a choice to live there or to enter more fully into his calling. So John's choice is something I know really well. Back in that car, when I was flailing and angry and hurt and broken, wondering if I had just wasted four years of my life, God loved me enough not to leave me there. His love worked through my rage and my pain to remind me of who I was created to be. And that's the thing about the love of God. It intervenes in the midst of our pain. 
and our disappointments. And it calls us to something greater, not comfort or reward or an easy way out necessarily, but instead an invitation to enter more fully into the beautiful, costly dance, dance of faith so that we can become what we're meant to be. Why is that so important in Advent? In this time, we are remembering that our king didn't come as he was expected to come. He didn't look like the victor he was expected to be. He didn't set his people free the way they expected him to. He did something entirely different, and it was hard for people to see, let alone enter into. And during this season, this is our time to remember that God doesn't always live up to our expectations, and that's a good thing. And sometimes the things that we spend our lives on, the great ideas, the passions, the dream jobs, the longings, the, the missions, the perfect things, manage to just collide with reality. And, the, and when we're in doubt, and when we're in pain, and we don't understand, that's when God's love doesn't give up on us. It calls us to then choose to partner with him to become what we can be, to be restored into the image of God we were created to be. And isn't this what our world needs? Don't we need people of God who are walking in grace and humility that are partnering with God for the renewal of themselves and wholeness in themselves and in others and in their communities and in their world? So we have a choice. I pretty much guarantee that one day all of you will come up to a time when the promise of God doesn't meet your expectations. What are you going to do when God doesn't meet that? Just remember, we're blessed if we're not offended by him. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your love doesn't leave us be, that your love calls us further and deeper and onwards. Lord, we thank you so much that you have called us to choose to partner with you to bring life and renewal in this world. And Lord, there's times when we doubt and we struggle and we're faced with a disappointment. Remind us again of who you've called us to be and your great faithfulness. Lord, I thank you that you are good and your love, your life-changing love, endures forever. Amen.